invite you to turn your Bible this morning. Uh, we're going to start, first of all, with a familiar Christmas passage, and then we're going to go to another not-so-familiar Christmas passage. We're going to kind of do it that way this morning, looking at it really into two parts. Look at me in the book of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to start there. Again, just a familiar verse. In verses 10 and 11. This is, again, the scene as the fields outside of Bethlehem where the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 10 says this, And the angel said unto them, to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What a wonderful news. And we talked earlier with the kids about Christmas. This day is really a day of good news uh, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord. Uh, and as we think about it, these are uh, verse 10 here. I want to point out here. The angel said, for, fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good tidings of great joy. Good tidings is really a gospel presentation. This is good news. That's what the gospel means is good news. Very straightforward. And so we're going to look at today the importance of Christmas and the message it brings. And it really is not so much just celebrating a baby in a manger. That's really just a, the hinge of the story, if you will, that unfolds into a greater story that each and every one of us should believe in and that we should have hope in today. And so with that, I want you to turn now to the book of Psalms, chapter 98. Psalm 98. This is the not-so-familiar Christmas passage, okay? Psalm chapter 98, and uh, we're just looking at a few verses out of here as well. Now, as you get to Psalm 98, I want you then to take out your white hymnal, okay? We've been doing this throughout this month of December. We have been looking at uh, the stories of great Christmas carols or great Christmas hymns and kind of looking at really the theology of Christmas, if you will, and what, why we believe what we believe and sing what we sing. And so I want you to turn in your hymnal to page 125. We actually began the service uh, this morning with this song, a song that you probably don't even need to look at the hymnal to know the words, but we're going to look at it anyway because it's important. And so that is uh, page 125 in your white hymnal, the song none other than Joy to the World. Really an interesting song. Did you know this, that Joy to the World is one of the best-known Christmas carols of all time? In fact, since, in, since the 20th century, Joy to the World has been the most published Christmas hymn in North America. Okay, not, that, not surprising. However, this song, if you really look at the words, is really not a Christmas song. It's really not a Christmas carol either, okay? And so let's talk a little bit about this. According to the author of this song, and you can look at there at the bottom in the text, it says Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts uh, is known as the father of English hymns. He was born in 1674 in England, and he was the oldest of nine children. His father was a schoolmaster, a very pious, nonconformist Christian. Uh, he, they did not necessarily uh, uh, go to the Church of England, per, per se. They wanted to do their own thing. That's probably the best way to say it. However, uh, Isaac Watts, the father of English hymns, is known to have written over 750 hymns. Uh, some of these, and you know many of them, some of these would include, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed, O God, Our Help in Ages Pass, and one of my favorites, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. That's just some of several of 
Isaac Watts song that we sing. But perhaps the most famous of the songs that I would say just generally people would know would be this one, Joy to the World. Even those who aren't Christians per se, they could at least be somewhat familiar with this song to some degree. However, the story of the song goes as this. Isaac Watts, he lamented that most of the songs of the church were sung with a lack of joy or emotion. Why? <laughs> I'm not going to say any more, right? Okay. <laughs> I think a lot of pastors, a lot of people would probably say, hey, we don't have enough joy and emotion when we sing. Not saying that we should be controlled by emotion. We're not talking about that. But we have a vibrant message. If this is good tidings and great, great joy, at least put a smile on your face, right? All right, very important, okay? So anyways, Isaac Watts was telling, talking to his father about this. He said, man, we just don't have good singing, good singing. So Watts' father gave his son a challenge. He told Isaac that if he struggled with these songs and the way they were songs, then he ought to do something about it. He should write something different. And his father's words set Isaac Watts to write songs that exalted Christ and focused on the saving work of the cross. That's why you have, when I surveyed the wondrous cross, for example. Now we come to the song that we look at here in our hymnal, Joy to the World. It was written in 1719, uh, about, over three, uh, about 300 years ago, as, as Isaac Watts, or, yeah, as Isaac Watts paraphrased Psalm 98. And that's the passage we're about to look at. And he looked at it in two parts of his collection. It's called the, his book was called The Psalms of David, Imitated in the Language of the New Testament. They had big titles for books back then, okay? And then there were subtitles that were even longer. Nonetheless, that was the work that Isaac Watts had been working on. And his purpose was this. He would look at an Old Testament text, and he would read the New Testament into it, and, uh, and see, basically to see Jesus in the text. That was his purpose. Uh, and so as we think of that, that's how we did it. He kind of paraphrased Psalm 98 in his psalm. That's how we did it. And so part of the, the music... So that's where the words came from, was from joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. That was done from a paraphrase of Psalm 98. The music, though, was, it, it was actually a concoction of a few different things. The music in part, and you can see it down here at the bottom, the music was actually influenced by George Frederick Handel from Handel's Messiah. Part of the Messiah was a song called Lift Up Your Heads. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you if you want to sing it on your own, in your car, on the way home, Okay. <laughs> But nonetheless, okay, there's a song, Lift Up Your Heads. By the way, if you listen even to the first line of that song, it sounds exactly like, lift up your heads. There you go. That sounds like joy to the world. There you go. And that's where the inspiration came a little bit from that song. However, the song didn't really get more traction until it came to the United States. The rest of the song was then composed by music teacher Lowell Mason from Boston to give us the song that we know and we sing today. The result is this. It's a favorite Christmas hymn based on an Old Testament psalm set to musical fragments from composed in England and pieced together across the Atlantic in the United States. Joy to the world. That's how we got the song. So it's interesting, the stories of the songs, how they come together. But here's where we kind of delve now into the message of the song. The message of the song, the opening line of Joy to the World declares, The Lord is come. Now, it's interesting that some people sing it wrong when they sing that the Lord has come, but that was not what Watts was intending to write. He said the Lord is come. He was not describing a past event, the birth of Christ. Rather, he was looking forward to a future event, the return of Christ. 
Through this song, he emphasized that the main point of Psalm 98 was not about the first coming of Jesus, but rather about his second coming, and that is what precisely the song is about. It speaks of the Savior's second coming when the Savior reigns and he rules the world with truth and grace. Isaac Watts longed for the glorious day when the nations will prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. In this, we believe that the nations are called to rejoice because of God's faithfulness, what he has done to Israel and for Israel and has brought salvation not just to the Jew first, but also the Gentile. For that, we can say amen. So now as we think about this, Isaac Watts probably never imagined that his song would be sung at Christmas. was not thought that way. But upon looking at the message of the song, as we're going to do here in a moment, we see that the first coming of Jesus, his birth, hearkens as a promise of his second coming that I believe is soon approaching. The song, Joy to the World, reminds us that both the birth of Jesus and his return are Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I invite you now to turn with me to the text where Isaac Watts looked at this this psalm. And come with me now to the book of Psalms, chapter 98. We're going to read, we'll read the whole passage, but we're going to focus on the verses in the message that Watts was focusing on. But let's read the whole, whole chapter together. The Bible says this in Psalm 98. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm, hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm. With the trumpets and the sound of the cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands and the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. And looking at this, this is a powerful message of really praising God for his salvation. It's really praising the Messiah King. For what he has done, his marvelous works and the things that he's done, and also his coming again, his future rule as Messiah. That's what Watts was focusing on, is the coming and the return of our Lord. But obviously we believe that you can't have the second coming without a first coming. And so that it does tie in well with the Christmas message as well today. But understanding this, when we see here in verse 1 and verse 2, for example, that God, his, his, his servant, his His Messiah, the Messiah, has the victory. He is victorious. Our Messiah is victorious. He will conquer the world. All of it belongs to him. And then he has shown, in verse 2, it says, He has made known his salvation, his deliverance of his people, his righteousness he has shown openly in the sight of the heathen, in the sight of the wicked. I like what John Salehammer, commentator, said this. God's judgment, listen carefully, God's judgment of the wicked means salvation for the righteous. That's a really deep thought, but think about that. God one day will judge the wicked. Those that rebel against him, the world, I'll be honest with you, no matter, you've got to come to terms with this, the world itself is in rebellion against God. Everything we see is against God, whether they realize it or not. 
Unfortunately, we're even seeing that within churches today. Churches themselves are even rebelling against God. That will not succeed. God will judge. But the judgment of the wicked of God means salvation and redemption for the righteous. Praise God for that. What a glorious truth. So in that, there is joy to the world. But now we come here to the song. This is where we're going to kind of look now at the psalm. And we're going to look at the song together. Okay? So the psalm of the song there we go. Say that five times fast, okay? And that really comes from verses 4 through 9. So Watts is really focusing on verses 4 through 9 in Psalm 98. Psalm, excuse me, Psalm 90. Can you give me some water, dear? Thank you. Usually I'm prepared. My son saved the day. All right, it's Christmas after all, right? (laughs) All right, Psalm 98, verse 4. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. As we see this, we see that clearly laid out here in verse 1 of of, uh, Joy to the World. You have your hymnal open there. It says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And it repeats it three more times, okay? And so as we see that, that's really the message here in verse 4. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The idea here in the Hebrew really is to shout. Make a shouting noise, a shout unto the Lord, all the earth. Let all the earth praise him. Let the earth receive her king. Psalm 98 is a focus on the king Messiah. When the Messiah comes, the earth will shout, will rejoice that the king is coming. What a wonderful, what a wonderful time that will be. And it says again, Watts says this, he calls, let every heart prepare him room. Be ready to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Like what one commentator says this, the psalmist beholding in spirit the accomplishment or fulfillment of the promises, the advent of Christ, his coming, and the glory of his kingdom bids the whole earth break forth in joy. Folks, I don't think we really understand the fact that when Jesus Christ came to the world, who did the angels came to to send that message to lowly shepherds in the fields? It came from wise men from afar. And yet the people who should have known the coming of Christ, in fact, they kind of did. They, I mean, remember when the wise men went to Herod and the Herod said, where was he supposed to be born king of the Jews? What did they end up doing? The scribes, they end up turning it back to Micah. Says he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And even there, they didn't quite connect it. Folks, Jesus Christ, what a wonderful day that's going to be. In his first coming, though, Christ was rejected. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. His first coming is rejected. But his second coming, Christ will be accepted. And with that, we see here, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. In verse 2 of the song, we see here, it says, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. As we see this, we see here verses 5 through 8 in Psalm 98. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm, with the trumpets and the cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord and the King. Let the sea roar, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. And we definitely see this. Here mentioned in verse 2 of of the song of of Isaac Watts. Fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains. That's the earth repealing, basically saying, yes, we are receiving the king. 
the king, the savior who reigns. Let men their songs employ. It's interesting as we see this in verse, uh, look at verse 6. With trumpets and with the sound of the cornet. Interesting, the Hebrew word for cornet there is this, a shofar, okay? It's a shofar, all right? Sometimes we read it in English, and we, say, we think of a cornet like a brass instrument. They didn't play it like that back in the 2,000 years ago, okay? But they did have a shofar, the ram's horn. And the shout of the ram's horn was, again, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people of the whole world. What a tremendous time that is, Okay? In other words, joy to the world. I like what Charles Spurgeon said concerning these verses here. By the way, if you want to get a good resource, The Treasury of David by Charles Spurgeon, it's definitely worth it. It's a good read, okay? On these verses, it says this, uh, Charles Spurgeon said, Shall men be more enthusiastic for the earthly princes than for the divine king? Let the reigning power of Jesus be felt in the soul. In other words, and he said this, that people... Praise their kings, their rulers, their celebrities, if you will, far more than they do the king of kings and lord of lords. Folks, we got to be careful who we worship and how we worship. We need to be very careful about that, okay? But what happens is when the Lord returns, when Jesus does return, he will be accepted. And we can do nothing but praise the Lord for who he is. And what is the the response that we should have together that is that, in verse 5, it says, sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of the psalm. As we think about that, this is the, really a simple explanation. The song, Joy to the World, and the message here from Psalm 98 is really to this. Sing to the Lord. I don't know about you. Do you like to sing? I know some of you do like to sing. Others, my word, you, if you were asked to sing, you'd run for the nearest exit, right? Okay. Sorry, Davey. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. I love you. But in doing this, what is this? I I like what one one person said this. A healthy church is a singing church. That's very true. A healthy church is a singing church. Now, whether or not you can carry, no, that's, that's beside the point, folks. But to shout joyfully to our Lord, to sing a psalm of praise, to sing joy to the world the Lord has come, that comes from our hearts. That comes from our hearts for what God has done and what he will do. And that rejoices in today. We do that. Okay? But now we turn to a different part of the psalm. We actually didn't sing this verse earlier. We skipped over it. The third verse of a hymn always gets the bad luck, doesn't it? We always skip over it. We did that today. Sorry, Woody. We skipped over verse 3. Verse 3 says this. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Now, you know what? That line there... You can't find that in Psalm 98. Thorns infesting the ground, sins and sorrows grow. So what did Watts think in this regard? He actually thought of a different passage, and I want you to hold your place in Psalm 98. Turn with me back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, and you can see where Isaac Watts, was. what what was he thinking? It says in Genesis chapter 3, and this is where God is pronouncing the curse. Remember, after Adam and Eve sinned, okay, He cursed the serpent, for example. All right. But look with me carefully here in verse 17, Genesis 3, 17 and 18. And Adam, and unto Adam, he said, God said, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. 
Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So in looking at that, these two verses here is what Isaac Watts was thinking of when he wrote verse 3. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Just like thorns, thistles, weeds infest the ground, that's how sin continues to grow and you can't stamp it out. The thing is this, Isaac Watts, this is a reflection of our world. We live in a fallen world. There is sin and rebellion everywhere around us. And no matter what people try to do in in taking that out, no matter what social programs or whatever they try to do, there will always be a problem with sin because of our fallen nature. Because of Adam's fall, we sinned all. The Bible says in Romans that all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But there is a righteous one. That's Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes, there will be no more sins and sorrow. No more thorns infesting the ground. Isn't that amazing? Far as the curse is found. What happens? When Jesus Christ comes, look at the second line of verse 3 in Joy to the World. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. In other words, the blessings of Jesus Christ in his reign Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And guess what? The weeds and thorns and thistles and, to be honest with you, sin and its effects will have no rain on this earth anymore. Praise God for that. I don't know about you. Do you want to be in this world forever like this? No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we have some good days here and there, but I tell you what, we always, whenever I look at myself in the mirror every morning, man, that's my worst enemy, folks. We deal with our sin nature all the time. We need a Savior. The world, that's why Jesus came to this world. He came as a babe in the manger. Yes, but he lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross for you and me to take care of that sin. And he calls on the whole world to believe on him, to trust him as Savior. Because he will abundantly pardon. He will forgive. In that we can rejoice and say joy to the world. One day, and Isaac wants to know this, that with the coming of the Messiah, sin will be eradicated once for all. Praise God for that. But now we go to the fourth verse. The fourth verse of Joy of the World. And by the way, remember I was saying in some of the songs, like there's like a thousand extra verses that the authors wrote that we don't sing or read. With Isaac Watts, this is what we get. Okay, so we're good. Okay. But look with me in verse four of Joy of the World. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his, of his, of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. As we think about this, now we come to verse 9, the last verse of Psalm 98. Before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth, with righteousness shall he judge the world and his people with equity or with uprightness is the idea. As we think about this, Jesus, this is the point of why Watts wrote this. Jesus is coming again to judge the earth. The wicked will be cast away. The righteous will be preserved with this the psalm remembers the marvelous things that god has done looking back at verse one for example but it also tells of his future righteous rule which will be full of truth and grace and i tell you what and we don't we really don't realize it now but the more and more we get closer to god and read his word and believe in his coming and it is a sure coming this will be a welcome relief for all creation that has suffered under sin and rebellion This world is suffering under sin and rebellion that only fosters and gets worse and worse, folks. But when Jesus Christ comes, 
that will be a relief. Right now, the, the world is groaning, if you will, under that. But when he comes, he'll bring true peace and freedom. With that, we can say joy to the world. As we think about this song, and as we think about this passage in Psalm 98, reminded uh, kind of what came to my mind, and another writer kind of mentioned this as well as I was studying. Uh, many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the Narnia Chronicles as well, Chronicles of Narnia. And we find that in that book specifically that Narnia was under the power of who? The White Witch of the North. Remember her? Ooh, she was nasty. Okay, And under her reign, the stage of the land was always winter, but never Christmas. Exactly. It was always winter, but never Christmas. Thus, spring would never come. However, when the hero, the lion, Aslan, when he was killed, then he rose from the dead. What happened in the story? The ice began to melt, the flowers bloomed, and the trees turned green. And yes, the dominion of the white witch and the winter that always was, guess what? Finally, there was a Christmas, if you will. And the first coming prepared for the second coming. Hearken to the promise of the second coming. Even so, Jesus' first coming was to redeem mankind from the power of sin by his death on the cross. Jesus was buried. He was risen again, and he ascended into heaven. But praise God, as he promised, he will come again and redeem the world in truth and grace. Let heaven and nature sing. Let all creation repeat the sounding joy. Let his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And let the glories of his righteousness display the wonders of his love. This Christmas, and really every day, let us rejoice in what Jesus Christ has done for us and what he will do. And with that, we can sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. This is a promise. It's interesting. It's not really a Christmas song. But yes, the first coming hearkens to the promise and assure of a second coming. Praise God for that. Joy to the world. With that, Merry Christmas. May the Lord richly bless you all. I do challenge you today, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, what we've just said and what we read here, again, the Christmas story is not just a fun story to, to tell our children. No, it's a true story. That the word became flesh, that God in the flesh is Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect and sinless life. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the greatest Christmas verse of all. The greatest gift in all the world is Jesus Christ. To know him, to believe in him, changes your life forever. And if you're here today and you do not know for sure where you would spend eternity. I challenge you today. We can show you from God's true word of the Bible how you can be saved and your life can be filled with joy, joy that he gives his children. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, let us rejoice every day in what he has done and let us have that continual hope of his soon return. I think that could happen any day, folks. And we rejoice in that. Amen. Let the Lord in his word work in your heart. Be led by the Spirit and let us rejoice in our Savior this Christmas day.